This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. A reporter at CHCH TV News was sexually harassed by students on campus this week at Mohawk College. Mohawk College Security is investigating. To talk more about all of this, the reporter, Britt Dixon, is with us, reporter for CHCH TV, and on the line with us now. Britt, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, what happened? Tell us what happened. Okay, so it was uh, Tuesday. I was at Mohawk College talking to students as they were heading back to class following the faculty strike, just, you know, getting some reaction from them about what it was like to be back at school. And I was in the middle of an interview with a student, and a male student walked behind me and yelled, uh, F right in the P, you know, something that we uh, have heard is mm-hmm. a, an internet prank that has been going on for a couple of years. Um, it happened to me a second time at Mohawk that evening when I was standing outside of the college getting ready to go live for a live hit at 6 o'clock, so like 30 seconds before I was expected to go live on TV. Um, you know, twice in one day, I mean, it's not the first time it's happened to me, I'm sure it won't be the last, but uh, I just got to a point where you know, I was sick of it, so I, I put out a tweet about it. I didn't name Mohawk in the tweet, I just said, you know, with everything happening in the world today, with the sexual harassment allegations and the attention being paid to it, I'm surprised and, you know, sick of this happening. And the college reached out to me. They asked for my footage. They apologized. They, um, you know, said they were going to investigate and are taking it seriously. I mean, not that it makes any difference that it happens out on the street, but I did not expect it to happen inside a college by a student who was there and is expected to uphold certain, you know, code of conduct regulations and things like that. So this isn't the first time this has happened to you? No, definitely not. Um, you laugh. Like, How many times has it happened, Britt? Uh, more than I can count. Definitely really? More than I can count. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. All of my, and we did a story last night on it, um, at talking to some of my colleagues who've also experienced it. I know I'm, you know, there are other journalists at other stations who have, who experience it all the time as well. Um, it, you know, it's something that started a couple of years ago and yeah. it, it's not as popular as it was, you know, say a year ago or two years ago, but it's something that's still happening and people still think that it's funny. So, uh, obvi- I, uh, my next question was going to be, what was your reaction when you heard this? But if you've heard it before, you must be numb to this stuff. I mean, what, what, what changed, what snapped this time that made you said, all right, I'm going to do something. Well, I mean, yeah, and the thing, I was talking a lot with some of my colleagues that we are numb to it, which is pretty sad to say that we're numb to someone yelling something so offensive to us while we're in our workplace doing our job. You know, wherever I am at reporting, that's my workplace for the day. Um, so when it happened, I, I turned around and just said, you know, really, to the student, because I was shocked that it would happen there. And um, my cameraman followed him and got his video because, you know, part of what we try to do is hold these people accountable, whether they're driving by in a car, we get a shot of their license plate. Um, so, you know, we sort of did that. And I didn't really expect um, it to get as big as it has gotten. Um, but I think, you know, me tweeting about it, there was a lot of reaction uh, in that sense. And then, you know, Mohawk got, got wind of it and then decided to, to take the stance that they did. Uh, over and above, uh, you know, the obvious here, are you surprised that someone does this to someone who's got a camera in their hand? I mean, I can't believe the stupidity here. Yeah, I've been asked that a lot. And, I, I mean, they seem to only do it to people who have cameras because the whole prank of it is to yell it into a microphone or into a camera. But, I um, mean, you know, obviously we can capture their faces and, you know, 
do something with it. So and, with what happened here, with the ability to capture their image and, and whatever information that hasn't acted as a deterrent at all. You would think after this got exposed and the guy from uh, Hydro One and stuff was fired mm-hmm. that oh gee, that maybe that's not a smart idea anymore. Over and above, of course, the societal uh, uh, questions here, but 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 it hasn't subsided. No, it hasn't subsided. And I mean, even some of the reaction that I've had online, most of which has been positive, but there has also been people saying, yeah, it's not a nice thing to do, but it's not sexual harassment. And it's just kids being kids. And it's just a funny prank. You know, people who are sort of passing it off like it's like it's nothing. And what's your reaction? Why it keeps happening. What's your reaction to those negative comments? Uh, you know, it reinforces my uh, the, the fact that I wanted to do a story yesterday and put it out there knowing that I would receive criticism and negativity um, because of it. Um, so, you know, I think it just reinforces that, that this is something that, you know, we, we have to talk about and have a discussion about because hopefully at some point people will, will realize that, you know, this isn't funny, it's offensive and it's unnerving for someone who's, you know, expected to be on television in front of a camera delivering the news, which is often, you know, sensitive news, whether depending on what story you're covering for the mm-hmm. day, and we're supposed to be professionals doing our job. And you know, I don't think someone would yell this to, you know, a, a bank teller or, you know, in, in a different capacity. You know, I, I'm no different from that. This is my job, my workplace, and I'm doing what I'm being paid to do. Are you surprised this happened considering where we are now, especially with the Harvey Weinstein stuff? And that's, I think, what shocked me a little bit was, look at what's happening. Look at all of these allegations that are being brought forward. There's something happening in the world right now where close attention is being paid to this. And, you know, this just sort of seemed to wash over the the individual who decided to do this. Uh, Over and above what happened to you with this situation as a woman professional, do you feel that times are changing or do you think this is just another news cycle, much like the Cosby story? Do you think it is getting better? I think... The fact that more people are talking about it now, I mean, you can't really turn on uh, turn on a newscast right now without hearing another story of, you know, uh, a sexual harassment or sexual assault allegations. I think there's definitely closer attention being paid to it now, so I would hope that, that things are changing. Your thoughts to the reaction of Mohawk? I was impressed. I was really impressed. Um, yeah, good I for think, them, eh? Yeah, as we mentioned earlier, you know, you, you sort of become numb to it because it happens. And it's happened before and it'll happen again. But the fact that, you know, um, within probably less than an hour of me tweeting about it, the president called me personally to say, I'm so sorry and, you know, I'm embarrassed and I can't believe that this happened. So I was really impressed with the way that they handled it. What was his, what else did he say? What were his thoughts on on how to solve this issue or, or to move forward with this at Mohawk? Um, I think the fact that, like, I'm sure that you saw he put out a a letter to students saying, you know, this behavior isn't acceptable and anyone who behaves like this isn't welcome at the college. And the fact that security is investigating um, and the fact that they are taking it seriously, that, you know, at least there's there's progress being made there. And, and, you know, perhaps the student, they will identify the student and he will come forward and maybe apologize or explain his actions. Or, you know, I'd like the chance to to talk to him as well. Maybe he wants to, you know, do an interview with me and tell me why he did what he did. Boy, wouldn't that be something? Uh, Mohawk (laughs) President Ron McCurley said, uh, quote, if uh, you somehow believe it is acceptable or humorous to demand and sexually harass women, then you are not welcome at Mohawk. I think that's one of the strongest statements I've heard on this issue. I agree. And I think that's why this has been made such a this 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 has legs because it's it's someone it's a, it's an institution like Mohawk it's someone like Ron McCurley who's 
you know, taking a stance and saying this this isn't acceptable. Kudos to him. So you have uh, the information, you have this person's image, and that has now been uh, handed over to the college? Yes, yes. I sent it to them uh, in the day that it happened. So this is just a matter of time before this person is caught, if they aren't already. Hopefully, yeah. And, and you know, they said they'd keep me... Um, in the loop when it comes to their investigation. So I'm anxious to see what happens there. Uh, what did your bosses say about this? How do they tell you how to handle this stuff? Um, I mean, I think that they're also surprised at the fact that it happens so often. And it's not like every time it happens to us when we're out on the street, we go in and say, oh, this happened again today. So I think, you know, obviously I informed my bosses when, when it happened at Mohawk because it was something that was surprising to me and, you know, with Mohawk's reaction. And, you know, it, it, there was a bigger conversation that happened. And I think a lot of them were also surprised that, wow, this happens all the time to you guys. Like, we, we weren't really aware it happened as often as it does. It just amazes me to no end, Britt, that, you know, because obviously any camera person is just going to spin the thing around and take shots of them. It just amazes me that people mm-hmm. are so stupid to capture their lack of judgment, whatever you want to call it. They're, they're, well, I'll leave it at that. And, and think that they're going to get away with this. I agree. So what do you want from this person? What do you, what, you, you said that you didn't think it would go this far. Uh, obviously, it's become a story onto its own. How, how do you want this to play out? Uh, It would be nice if this had an impact on that individual and other individuals in the sense that people would think twice about saying things like this, about saying this specific phrase, you know, I'd like to be, I'm not the first person that this has happened to be. It would be great if I could be the last person and that this would make some sort of difference. I don't know if I'm 100% hopeful at that, but it would be nice if this uh, obscene trend would just end. Like it's, it's ridiculous that it's continued this long. Uh, did Mohawk say what uh, what the penalty would be or if, if there would be any sort of recourse if they do and when they do find this person? I was told that they would do an investigation and then that when they uh, identified the person, there'd sort of be a, a process involved, you know, speaking to that individual, asking why, um, an apology to me, and, you know, if that student... Uh, appeared to have learned a lesson from their actions, then I guess that would sort of end it. They did mention expulsion. Um, I asked what would warrant an expulsion and was told by the president that that would, you know, if the student basically said, I'm not apologizing and I don't think what I did was wrong, um, then at that point they would be able to expel that student. And this happened twice in one day, two separate incidents, two separate people? Yes. Yes. So the second incident, I was outside of the college and there was a car full of students who were leaving. And you know, I looked and the window was rolled down and someone had a cell phone out. So I thought, oh, maybe they're taking a picture of us because we're out there with a the camera and a light and a live truck. And then all of a sudden that was yelled and the, the car took off. Now, did you get a footage of both of these incidents or just the one? We So we have the footage from inside the college. Outside was just a car speeding right. away, but we didn't, we didn't have a license plate or, or anything like that. So if by chance, Britt, you do get to interview this person, what are you going to say to them? What are you going to ask them? I just want to ask them why. I want to ask why he would say that and why he would think that is okay, and if he would think twice next time. And what about an apology? Uh, how much weight will that hold with you? Well, it depends how genuine that apology is, and it depends if I really thought that it was... Uh, you know, there was some substance behind it in terms of, wow, I can't believe I did that. I didn't really think at the time what, what I was doing. Then, 
then maybe I would accept that. But you're not, su- you're not surprised when this happens to you or to other reporters? No, I'm not surprised anymore, no. I was surprised it happened inside a college, but yeah. I'm not surprised when someone shouts it to me on the street. Uh, uh, do you uh, report this to your bosses every time this happens, or uh, is it just happened too often to... Uh, no, I don't report it every time, and I don't think my colleagues do as well. Should something now, that, now, should you, Brett? Uh, I, you know, maybe going forward we will. Uh, so how big has this story got? How many, how, much, uh, how many invitations have you had to do what you're doing right now? Uh, quite a few, and uh, lots of online reaction, um, lots of you know, Facebook messages and tweets. I haven't really been able to keep up on a lot of the tweets. Um, some of them I don't want to read because they're pretty critical. Um, and then, you know, you get the, the basic, you know, someone criticizing you and someone else responds. So there's, you know, some a little bit of a fight going on with my Twitter mm. handle mixed into there. So, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a bit overwhelming. Well, Britt, good luck to you. We'll keep on the story and, uh, and see how it uh, plays out. And hopefully you will get that inter- interview and we'll be watching. Britt, thanks very much for the time. Thanks so much. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. The Ontario Progressive Conservative Convention is taking place this weekend. Uh, What will we see? How will the uh, PCs come out the other end? Barry Kay is with us, political science professor, Wilfrid Laurier University. He is with us now. Hello, Barry. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Hi, Scott. What is the objective of this convention? What are we going to see this weekend? Well, it's largely public relations. It's going to kind of be a pep rally. There will be some talk about policies, but I don't think anything too controversial. But this will be the last gathering of the provincial conservatives before next June's election. And even though they are ahead in the polls, the trajectory of late has not been as positive as they expected. Um, goodness, less than a year ago, it looked like it was a lock for the uh, conservatives winning a huge majority with close to 20-point lead in public opinion. These days, it's we're down well into the single digits. So the latest numbers I've seen are about 5 or 6, maybe 7% lead. Um, and those kind of numbers don't necessarily translate to a majority. So the conservatives are going to do everything they can to sort of boost um, a Brown, uh, who in fact, Patrick Brown, who is not really, I don't think, cut through in, in a meaningful way as a dramatic leader. I think his basic appeal has been uh, negatively toward, uh, toward Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals. Um, I, th- I think this convention will be an opportunity for him to try to reflect a sort of a sense of leadership that people might, might develop some excitement about. It hasn't happened yet. It may be, June's a long time off, it may be that, in fact, it, it doesn't matter, that being hostile to uh, win will be enough. But the fact that public opinion has slipped somewhat for the conservative margin makes me think that they're going to be doing everything they can to, to burnish the, uh, the image of, of, of Brown in his leadership. How do you explain that more evening out of the polls of late? Um, well, I don't know. It, it, I'm not sure whether people are taking a closer look at, at Brown. As perhaps we've chatted about in the past, I imagine, as things stand now, that the next leadership, uh, excuse me, election campaign is going to be more of a matter of each side throwing dirt at the other side than, uh, than basically talking about the strength of their own leader. Um, but clearly, uh, the conservatives have not shown a lot of policy. This will be an opportunity. Now, there's, a, there's sort of a negative to doing it too early because, in fact, it'll sort of spoil the surprise um, of what what they want to have some momentum in the election campaign itself come may and early june uh... but it it may be that up until now the conservatives just haven't really shown that there's much beef behind their uh, their proposals i i don't i can't say that with certainty the fact is we don't have strong op- opinion polls on this 
Um, it does strike me that uh, that Brown has just not been able to project an image of himself, and this weekend will, I guess, provide an opportunity to do that. Uh, do you think he's trying, or do you think he's letting her take as much rope as she needs at this point? Well, I'm not sure that the two are, are inconsistent. I think he certainly wants, I think he understands that the, the, his greatest asset is win. But it may be that the liberals see that their greatest asset is Brown. Brown has not yet really forged much of an identity, and part of politics may be defining your opponent downward, which is what they're, they're trying to do with Brown. But remember, Brown was not somebody who had reached much uh, lofty levels when he was in the federal parliament. He was not in the cabinet of Harper. Um, and it was somebody who historically, in fact, has been a somewhat of a social conservative. He's backpedaling on issues like abortion. But um, I think the liberals will try to suggest that this is somebody out of the mainstream. It wouldn't work so easily if, in fact, Brown had been able to, to provide a sort of a strong image and presence of himself. I'm not sure that's happened, and that may be the reason why the conservative lead has kind of little by little kind of been frittered away. And I guess the threat in doing that, uh, if you don't paint the narrative, the opposition will. Well, that's certainly true. And again, um, I'm not sure that all the conservatives think that Brown is the strongest person that they had, but nonetheless, he, he won the... Um, uh, he, he won the the leadership, and he's he's the one they're working with in this particular campaign. I, I think there will be some hints at some call of policy. I don't think the whole policy agenda is going to be um, uh, revealed this weekend because, in fact, that's what election campaigns are for. There will probably be some talk about policy. Uh, they've uh, they've already mentioned that they they are uh, they think that the um, the speed at least with which the minimum wage is being uh, jacked up that in fact that that is not necessarily in the economic interest of Ontario's business. Uh, whether that's a winning strategy for or not for them, we've certainly seen that the provincial government is prepared to spend money. They might be talking about fiscal responsibility in the sense that it's not clear that the provinces can be able to afford all these programs that the uh, that the government has introduced. And indeed, look, Kathleen Wynne uh, has done this in part out of desperation herself, but she is doing things. The pharmacare programs on, on track. The uh, minimum wage is going to be raised. She is doing things that are going to appeal to. Certainly people, maybe not at the top economic strata of Ontario, but certainly in the middle and the lower middle. Uh, as we've said, uh, many don't know a lot about Patrick Brown. After this weekend, will we know more about him? Oh, a little more. Uh, I'm not so sure. I don't think he's all that dramatic and exciting a figure. And I think that's part of the reason, because he has had an... Let, let, let's compare him with uh, Jagmeet Singh in the case of the NDP. Uh, now, I don't want to suggest that everybody knows everything about him either, but he's been the NDP federal leader for a shorter period of time. Mm -hmm. But he has been able to present himself, and he isn't necessarily appealing to everyone. Uh, uh, Brown, by contrast, seems rather pallid in terms of the way he's been able to connect with the Ontario electorate. I think it is possible for Brown to have done a little bit more to um, lose a little bit of personality or excitement or even policy development um, in the kind of way that we've seen at the... Um, at the federal level with the NDP, maybe even with the, ND, the conservative federal leader. I'm not so sure about that. Um, Brown's, been, Brown's been in leadership for a while, and I think he had the opportunity to present himself. I think he's been very cautious. I think that's part of the reason, and perhaps he was spoiled by the fact that conservatives had a lead in the polls, and he felt he didn't really have to reveal too much. Mm -hmm. But little by little, it's sort of washing away. Again, I don't want to suggest he's in serious trouble. Uh, the conservatives are still ahead in the polls. But um, this is the next election is not going to be the, the lock for the conservatives that might have seemed to be uh, six, eight months ago. I don't know how anybody can say anything's a lock on, especially when you consider the last two elections. Yeah, yeah, that's true in the American election. Yeah, no, public opinion can be very volatile. I don't think people are very excited about anything provincially right now. Uh, there will be people who are attracted to the liberals because of some of the policy statements they're making. And indeed, for the liberals, I don't think Kathleen Wynne is the strongest card either. 
you know, again, I'm, I'm perhaps I've talked about this before when you've I've been on the show, but the it really is time for a change. And uh, in normally, the fact that the liberals have, will have been in power for 15 years come next June would be enough reason in and of itself for the conservatives to have a shot at it. And right now, they're as I say, a little bit ahead. But um, uh, the conservatives have not really lit a fire under under Ontario voters. Uh, is boring a bad thing for a leader? Well, that depends. Um, at, uh, Bill Davis made that ma- famous statement decades ago about the fact that, uh, that uh, you know, boring works. You don't want to antagonize people. Um, I, there are times where that's certainly been true, when people are, are basically happy with the, the situation. Um, and again, you know, a year ago I might have said that was the smart strategy for Brown, and certainly his advisors told him to be cautious and, and not to antagonize people. In truth, this time around, it doesn't seem to have worked as effectively because the Conservatives have been losing momentum in the, the trajectory of Ontario politics has been, if anything, away from the Conservatives. Um, I don't think it's because people have sort of got a new sense of, um, of Kathleen Wynne. The policies may have helped a bit in her case. But I, I think that uh, Brown hasn't excited people either. Uh, you talked about momentum. Uh, it seems that we've been talking about government in this province for a long time. As you said, 15 years is a, lot, is a long time for any party. Um, have, we, have we even obtain, obtained that momentum uh, yet? Uh, you know, at, at what point do, uh, you know, if you peak too early, you're going to create fatigue around yourself, fatigue around the whole thing. It, it, uh, that can work. Um, again, if in fact he's sort of waiting to, to generate enthusiasm, Brown maybe have been very successful. But when you have a 20, had a 20-point lead and now it's 6 or 7, um, I'm not sure that, that the idea of waiting for waiting for for me, is necessarily the answer. Right. I think, look, this is this weekend, because you're asking really about the convention, this weekend is an opportunity to generate some enthusiasm. I'm not sure how many Ontarians are going to be paying close attention to this. These kind of conventions don't normally change because he's basically speaking to the converted, you know, and, and the, the, the party loyalists. It, it, it is an opportunity, though, to get a little bit more media attention than they would have had otherwise. I think they will try to reveal some new policies. I really can't begin to say exactly what those are. They may, they may try to show a little bit more. And again, I'm not sure that uh, Brown is capable of generating excitement anymore. Mm-hmm. I think if he, again, I, I can c- contrast him with, I'm not suggesting that Jagmeet Singh is about to become the next Prime Minister of Canada. That isn't going to happen either. But he has gotten attention. He has been different. Uh, or as, as had Justin Trudeau at, the, um, at, mm-hmm. at the federal level when he first came in. Um, Brown has not been able to radiate or generate that kind of excitement. And um, um, I think perhaps policy will be the the route that they will follow. I'll I'll tell you quite frankly, though, I don't know that the polls are going to be dramatically different, uh, you know, a couple of weeks from now than they are at the moment. Uh, As you mentioned, Wynne has been making uh, a lot of announcements, uh, minimum wage and such. Um, That being said, can she keep that momentum right through to the election? Does it mean that every month she's got to bang out something big like this? Uh, I don't know if if every every month, um, but in fact, I think if I was asked why, in fact, the momentum has gone back toward the liberals a little bit, uh, it's not because she is so exciting or is a new presence in, in Ontario politics. It's the, the party is. My hunch is that, in fact, the policies have had something to do with it, and that may be an indication that Brown should start talking a little more specifically. I don't think he's going to reveal the whole thing, and I'm not even sure exactly what his policies are going to be. It's hard to believe that a conservative party is going to start outspending a liberal party with regard to social policies, and that's really been the, the movement toward the left of social policies that probably has something to do with the fact that the liberals have rebounded a little bit. Uh, as far, what do you think Patrick Brown has to do to capture Ontarians' uh, attention? 
Well, I mean, if he had uh, some exciting new policy, perhaps he would have already started to, to hint at it without necessarily developing it at all. Um, I, I'll tell you, I'm not sure what he has to do, I mean, because I'm not sure it's going to work. He still is ahead of somewhat. I'm not sure he's, he's just on the verge, probably, of whether he could even form a majority. I'm not certain that the kind of lead they have in the polls now would translate to a majority. It'll depend a little bit about how it's, how it's spread around the province. Um, but I, I think, in fact, he is going to have to suggest that he is in a position of, of, of steady, uh, steady, responsible leadership, perhaps to try to undercut the... I mean, I'm sure they'll talk about the corruption of the Liberals. That's been out there, but that, frankly, that could have been an issue in the last election, and it wasn't. Hmm. Um, I think uh, if, if somebody who isn't particularly exciting, which seems to be the case with Brown, probably has to suggest steady as she goes, and that the Liberals have been corrupt, they've been around too long, and it's time for a change. I think there will be some policy development, but I'm not sure it's going to be nearly as dramatic because conservatives aren't generally in favor of spending more money. Conservatives should be say talking about the fact that they want to uh, to, to lessen the lessen the deficit, or perhaps sometimes to lessen taxes. Um, I'm not sure whether that's going to work, but that's the way conservatives in the past have dealt with a situation where you've got um, a party in power that's prepared to spend a lot of money. The conservatives aren't going to get any headway by trying to suggest that they're going to outspend the liberals. Mm. The, the party we haven't talked about yet is the NDP. Um, and, and the fact is um, that the, the NDP leader, Horvath, is actually quite popular personally. But uh, she has not been able to try, I think, probably the most popular of the three in terms of personal ratings, but she has not been able to translate that into widespread support for the party. How much of that has to do with the fact that the liberals just keep eating their platform? Uh, yeah, I'm sure that's part of it. Um, but again, if the the old notion of time, look, there was a time where two terms in was sufficient and the, the parties got rotated. We're going to have the equivalent of all, virtually almost four terms in for the for four full terms in for the liberals. And normally, in fact, that would be enough reason for an opposition party to to prosper by by contrast. Uh, yeah, I think the NDP probably is hurt somewhat by that. We, we saw an interesting trend in the last provincial election, though, that the the regional deviations became more and more apparent. The NDP didn't do nearly as well as they had historically in the Toronto area, the GTA, but they did much better than expected in western Ontario. Mm. And if, in fact, the NDP continues to be able to, to do well, it's really in areas basically west of the GTA to go heading down toward Windsor, um, that if the NDP continues to outperform the Liberals there, that's where minority government may actually come in. If the, and that's why I'm reluctant to suggest at what level of lead the Conservatives can, can translate into a majority vote. But it may well be that in southwestern Ontario that the, uh, the NDP will be seen as the alternative to the, uh, to the Conservatives, whereas in the bigger urban center, of course in Hamilton too, because the NDP already does well in Hamilton, but in, whereas in um, eastern Ontario and certainly around Toronto and the suburbs there, that the Liberals may still be able to hang on. The NDP isn't. Well, we'll see. I, I mean, there too. Jagmeet Singh is probably going to appeal. I'm sure he'll be very active in the next Mm-hmm. provincial election campaign as well, because that'll precede the federal one. And he's been a provincial member. And he may be able to gin up support for the NDP, particularly in the ethnic suburbs, Brampton, Mississauga, that surround, uh, surround, surround the city of Toronto. Will we see the mudslinging of past elections here, considering that this government will have been in for 15 years? Does the opposition, uh, rather, does the NDP and the Conservatives have to do that? Are they better just to, to, let, to let that speak for itself and keep their nose clean? I'm not sure the NDP needs to do it, because they're not really seen as a serious alternative. They're, they're certainly a presence, and they certainly have policy ideas, but I don't think many people think the NDP is going to form the government in, in this next election. Uh, in answer to your question, though, yeah, I think there'll be mudslinging. I think... Uh, if if Brown does not sort of ignite himself and be able to um, ignite in a positive way, not burn himself up, but is not able to uh, to to uh, 
generate some kind of charisma and excitement. I, I, I would imagine that they will be dumping on the uh, the liberals, and there are there are issues, there are corruption and abuse of power issues to be able to exploit it. And I think the um, the uh, liberals are going to be going after uh, Brown and suggesting that he's taking uh, possible you know uh, economic recovery away from poorer people, people that are at minimum wage, people who need pharmacare programs, students. I, I think that may that kind of negativism, more attacking the opponent than burnishing their own credentials, is what we may very well see. The NDP, I don't think, needs to go that way. The NDP is more of a niche party anyway. They do well in certain areas, Hamilton being prominent among them and perhaps some in the north. But um, in areas where they might have a chance to pick up some seats in western Ontario, uh, that indeed my hunch is they won't probably feel the need to go dirty, hoping that the other parties are throwing enough mud at each other. What are we all learning from the popularity of Jagmeet Singh? Well, uh, the, the demography of the Canada is changing. I think we knew that anyway. And uh, look, I, I don't want to suggest that Jagmeet Singh cause, uh, has totally um, all transformed the Canadian electorate or even the Ontario electorate. Uh, the NDP is still, on uh, the polls I've seen, is still under 20%. Um, I think what may happen, uh, and it's suggested, in fact, that uh, Singh's uh, religious uh, uh, distinctiveness may, in fact, cost the NDP support in Quebec. Um, but um, I think we are seeing that there may be a little bit of a, a little bit of a transformation in that some of the ethnically heavy suburbs around Toronto and around Vancouver and maybe in Calgary and other places where there's concentrations of people um, that are not of uh, European extraction that those people may very well start to move, at least to consider the NDP. And actually, the, the provincial election will be an early harbinger of it, even though mm. Singh is the federal leader, not the provincial leader. Yeah. I have a hunch he's going to go in heavy, and he's going to be very active, in, uh, particularly in ridings. Again, Brampton and Mississauga uh, have, have an awful lot of ridings. That's where the growth area has been. And not, not just those areas, particularly on the west side of Toronto, but perhaps also north and you know, areas that have more East Asians rather than South Asians. Um, I think this will become a trial run to see whether or not that kind of thing is going to allow the NDP to get support in areas that they haven't really done all that well before. Uh, the federal election, of course, is going to be a year and a bit. It'll be about what, 15, 16 months after the, um, the provincial election. But this is a trial run, and I think Jagmeet Singh is going to be a very active participant, particularly in those sections of Ontario. Uh, talking federally, I can't let you go without asking you, have you seen Andrew Shear's latest commercial? Obviously, uh, we've got three very different personalities for the next federal election, Trudeau being the oldest in this. Uh, yeah, I don't think people are going to think of Trudeau as too old. No. They're all young. I mean, God, compare this to the American politics where you've got septenarians uh, yeah. that are, uh, you know, in their 70s that are, that are in politics. Uh, yeah, I don't think uh, they're going to be able to portray um, Tr- Trudeau as too old. Uh, the, the Tr- Trudeau and the federal liberals have some other issues in terms of not really being very effective, not being able to uh, maintain all their promises. But obviously, Andrew Scheer, uh, Jagmeet Singh, very progressive, GQ kind of guy. Andrew Scheer, his commercial kind of just walking through a park and talking to uh, families and such, and, and maybe not the most flattering uh, spot that we've seen uh, for a leader. Uh, obviously, they're playing a different angle. Yeah. Oh, look, they're, they're, these are still trial runs. Um, again, we're still almost two years away from the next federal election. And indeed, if these the commercials you're referring to um, don't t- transform public opinion, I'm sure they'll have advisors and focus groups that'll be helping to direct them to some alternative. Uh, the, the, the particular approaches we're seeing at the moment are not necessarily the approaches we'll see come 29th, the f- mm. October 2019, when that federal election is going to take place. Always fascinating. Barry Kaysman with his political science professor at Wilfrid Laurier University. Barry, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Happy to chat. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.
Uh, intimidation tactics won't deter free speech rally near uh, Wilfrid Laurier University, say organizers. That's the headline out of the Toronto Sun today. Let's bring in Joe Warmington, columnist for the Toronto Sun. He is uh, at Wilfrid Laurier and a rally going on. Uh, good afternoon, Joe. How you doing today? Doing really well. Uh, I'm here uh, actually on, you know, the rally sort of still happening a little bit. It's sort of over, but there's lots of people lingering. Lindsay Shepard is still here as well. So what was this like? Describe it. What happened today? Well, it was, it was really not anything eventful. I mean, in terms of, like, you know, trouble, there was a counter-protest and that kind of stuff from people that, you know, at the university that don't agree with Lindsay Shepard, but basically people talking about uh, freedom of speech and the importance of it, and they, you know, they kind of roasted the administration here at Laurier for what they did. And I think there's a new star in town, and that's Lindsay Shepard. Shepherd. How about response from students? There was, uh, I would say, you know, maybe maybe 150 or so people, 200 people, and I think this. I think it's kind of a mix here. I think that it would be. It's certainly a big story, but I, you know, I don't know whether you know it's the end of the world or anything. But it, it's an important issue. I mean, there were some professors here, and you know, I think the the narrative that. Uh, you know, the issue at hand really is, Scott, is we talk about it all the time, is freedom of speech. Is it, you know, are you allowed to say what you think? And if, if it's sort of blasphemy to the other side, that, you know, they, they tell you you've broken a law and you're not allowed to say that and you're not allowed to teach it censorship and that kind of stuff. So a lot of people see that uh, as a real issue. I think that the debate is just beginning and it'll be interesting to see if it continues or if this sort of uh, fizzles out. Uh, this all started, of course, uh, when uh, the teaching assistant, Lindsay Shepard, uh, played a, a TBO program in which Professor Jordan Peterson was debating gender topics. Uh, how can playing a TBO program get you in hot water at university? Well, it's ridiculous, and I think that that's what I said to Lindsay uh, as well. It's not like you even took any really strong views. All you were doing was putting out an opposing view. So and it was, and it was, and it was about communications. From what I understand, it was a communications class as opposed to this issue. Absolutely. And the professor uh, that spoke uh, talked about that too, about how in one class, uh, every every student in the class put their hand up and said, "This has kind of happened to them, where they want to talk about these things as well." So you're you're right. I mean, this was a communications class. You're not allowed to communicate. It, it's really, really appalling what happened. Uh, but I don't know what's going to happen down the road. I don't like to see anybody fired, as you know. No. That, that would be too far. But but I, I think that um, you know, it's not just here in Laurier. I mean, you know, those of us uh, that do this for a living, yourself included, understand how censorship works and you know, the corporate side and also the academic side, the political side, all of that exists. And what happened here is a story about bullying, too. This young woman is 22 years old, and those guys... They were bullying her, and it wasn't very, very nice. It just seems odd how the atmosphere of the culture of university has changed a lot since we were there, in the sense that it was all about free speech, it was all about anti-establishment, it was all about every other thing that was going on in the world, and then it was this, it was as if over time we've achieved this, and now you've become into, ex- you've turned into exactly what you were demonstrating against. It's a good point. I mean, I think that uh, I've seen it, in all kinds of walks of life, we go through it all, and it's very dangerous. I think maybe, you know, freedom isn't free, that whole 
you know, you hear that all the time, and I think this is a reminder of it. I think the longer you have it and it's unchallenged and you just kind of walk around accepting that you can say what you want and, uh, you know, or that, you know, that you're not going to go to jail for you saying what you want. And I think that that's what's happening here. It's sort of a reminder, Scott, that it isn't free. And um, now this young woman, if she didn't tape this thing, who knows what would have happened to her. Yeah. Uh, instead, it's it's public now. But, you know, I'm still, um, I'm still, you know, kind of concerned because I want everyone to get along in the world at work. And, you know, I don't think that, uh, you know, we do it on your show all the time and we don't always agree and we talk and we learn and we listen and we still like each other. And I think that's what people need to do. Uh, obviously, Lindsay Shepard, you know, anybody that's followed this, was presenting this neutrally as a communications example rather than the issue itself. Is she worried that extremists are going to jump on board and try to take this in the opposite direction that she wants to go in? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I can answer that. Um, if I get a chance, I can uh, I can try to put her on with you if you want to, you want to do that? Sure, absolutely. Okay. She's just doing an interview now, so if you can rag the puck for another minute or so, and I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll see if uh, but I, she'd be better to answer that. But if, if you're asking me that, that always happens, doesn't it? Yeah. It happens all the time uh, where uh, you know people have a message. And I, I'm always concerned about that, too, because I, I'm trying to figure out what this story really is. And, you know, and I asked her that, too, because is, is it her story or is it the whole university? It's everybody, you know, and again, how do you tell? I mean... You know, I, I personally think that these uh, these people that did this to her, I mean, she caught them on tape. Um, I, I, I think they should really work on their relationship, and I think it, they should put it behind them and make sure that they're more open. Do you think I this think is... Liz, I don't think... Here, I'll put you on with her. Uh, I'll put you on with her right now. Oh, it's great. It's, uh, live on radio on Hamilton Radio. Yeah, they got a question. They got me a question. That I, I love answer, this. So. Joe setting up an interview for us. Hello, Lindsay. Live radio, folks. Hi, what was your yeah. question? Hi, Lindsay, is that you? Yes, that's me, hi. Hi, Lindsay, thanks for taking the time, we appreciate this. Are you worried that, you know, in what you were trying to present in your communications class and a balanced approach to this by playing this TVO program, are you worried that when, you know, at rallies such as this that extremes will jump on board and use your message to to push their their point forward um i'm not really worried about it no i think like um one of the messages i made really clear is that even though you know free speech has kind of been appropriated as a right-wing issue i'm i consider myself more left-leaning um but i still know when uh certain the political ideas are going too far and uh, going too far to dominate discussion and going too far in terms of authoritarianism. And so I hope that my stance on this can show that uh, ev- this is everyone's issue. It's not limited to, you know, right wing or left wing. What, I- what is your feeling on the reaction to this and how it's taken off? Um, well, I'm very pleased. Um, I think you know, it's, it's become an international news story. And that's only because people show that they, this is something that really concerns them, as it should. And because people from all over the world wrote letters to the president. And, um, you know, it was important to shame Wilfrid Laurier University because what they've done is very shameful. What is life like for camp- on campus for you now? Um, I... 
it, it kind of goes both ways. Some people are very pleased to um, meet with me and talk to me, but uh, other people might treat me with suspicion. Um, the Rainbow Center on campus, which represents or claims to represent all LGBTQ people, um, has kind of started a crusade against me. So right now, that's kind of so. There's uh, what I'm there's the to neutralize. There's the extremism jumping on board with your cause. Yes, and unfortunately, with their extremism against my my point of view, they're they're alienating a lot of people who who otherwise agree with them. Teaching assistant Lindsay Shepard has been with us. Lindsay, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.